First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. Good morning. You're tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station. On this blue dot we call planet Earth. It's 4 triple Z. Be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM. Digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org. And of course, you can listen back to our show or any other 4ZZZ show for that matter using the Ingenious On Demand feature also found at that URL. The show is, of course, no idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak all things science is just me, Max. Our show is a science show. The, we speak about some weird science, we'll do some marine science, I'll whack in some motorsport, and we'll finish it off. I've got a, an interview that Gabe did last year, we can replay that, and we'll finish it all off with a bit of space news. Yeah, I'm going to do a bit of this. Pre-clinical trials by University of Queensland researchers, QS ranking 43, have found an injection of a specific blood factor can replicate the benefits of exercise in the brain. Dr. Odette Lita and Dr. Tara Walker from UQ Queensland's Brain Institute led a team which discovered platelets, the tiny blood cells critical for blood clotting, secrete a protein that rejuvenates neurons in aged mice in a similar way to physical exercise. Given that aging is a major risk factor for cognitive decline and neurodegenerative diseases, there's a need for innovative strategies to preserve cognitive function in older individuals. Physical exercise has been identified as a key factor in enhancing adult neurogenesis and cognitive abilities in aging adults. However, the precise mechanisms through which the effects of exercise are conveyed to the brain are not fully understood. Exokines or molecule, are molecules released from various cells or organs in response to exercise and are believed to mediate the effects of exercise on the brain. The study identifies several exokines involved in brain plasticity, including PF4 which is released by platelets. This discovery is significant as it underscores the role of platelets in regulating brain function. Platelets are being increasingly recognized for their therapeutic potential due to their reservoir of beneficial molecules with anti-inflammatory, neurotrophic, 
and antioxidant properties. Platelet-rich plasma and platelet lysates are already used in regenerative treatments for healing and regenerative <laughs> purposes. The research proposes that PF4 directly induces beneficial changes in the hippocampal stem cell niche, which result in enhanced neurogenesis and cognitive function. Importantly, this effect is specific to the dentate gyrus and of the hippocampus, the region associated with learning and memory. The study suggests that the platelet-mediated effects of PF4 on cognition could extend beyond direct action on stem cells to other brain cell types or indirect effects through peripheral mechanisms. Although platelets typically respond to various environmental signals, their response to exercise appears to be unique and distinct from other activation pathways. The study identifies uh, changes in platelet signatures following exercise, which include proteins involved in immune responses and redox regulation. Notably, platelets' response to exercise is linked to changes in antioxidant activity, suggesting a role in reducing oxidative stress and promoting neural precursor cell activation. The study emphasizes the importance of an active lifestyle for brain health and cognition in aging and neurodegenerative conditions. While platelet activation responses are often associated with negative health outcomes, the exercise-induced platelet activation response demonstrated here has positive effects on cognitive function. The identification of PF4 as a platelet-released exokine with cognitive-enhancing properties opens up possibilities for novel therapeutic interventions based on exokine delivery. These findings contribute to our understanding of the complex interactions between exercise, platelets, and brain health, offering potential avenues for developing interventions to counteract cognitive decline in aging populations. So there you go. Might not have to exercise. Well, I've probably taken the wrong outtake there. I'm going to let Izzy in. Everyone at the station knows uh, which shows the most appreciated. Uncancelable. Uncancelable. That's what I love to say about us. (laughs) (laughs) Everything we do, everything we say, everything we've ever put online, uncancelable. Yeah. You tune into 4ZZZ, the show is no idea, with Max and Izzy. The storm has arrived. The storm has arrived, and we're going to do a bit of this, part two. Well, we're going to start with, I wouldn't really call it old news, news, but I got a good headline yesterday, which was that the treated Fukushima wastewater is going to be released on tomorrow, Tomorrow, Thursday, after extensive rounds of testing was done on the water. So Mm. for context, um, I'm pretty sure we're all aware of the Fukushima nuclear disaster Mm -hmm. um, that occurred, I think it was a little before my time, or um, when was it? It was like... (laughs) <laughs> anyway, Max, you Google that for me. Um, but Japan will begin releasing the treated nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear plant in the sea as soon as Thursday. Japan has treated the water to the point where officials say it would no longer be harmful and now intends to dilute it and release it into the Pacific Ocean. 2011. 2011. Oh, wow. that was Yeah, that was yeah. definitely my time. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would have been... Year 11 was like... Uh, 2011 was like grade... Probably yeah. grade three or four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Um, but obviously when we hear releasing nuclear waste into ocean, a few alarm bells come up. 
Um, but, <laughs> well, um, for context on how, obviously, what the nuclear water was used for, it was used to um, cool down the uh, nuclear rods. Yeah. rods. Mm-hmm. So it's, I guess it's in, in the same vicinity as nuclear mm-hmm. um, energy, but it's not as much of a big issue as we might think it is. So it was used primarily to cool the melty, the melted um, reactor of the Fukushima nuclear power plant. But after filling more than a thousand tanks, storage was expected to reach capacity early next year. Japan began treating it to the point where they can say it's no longer harmful. Now, um, Science Media Center uh, did a bunch of expert reactions to this way back in June and then now recently. And they say that whilst it is controversial, we have actually seen the releasing of nuclear waste water previous times with zero to no effect on the environment around it. Now, that being said, what happens in 10 years if we get, if we end up with like a Futurama style 100 eye <laughs> fish? Um, I'm not going to comment on that. But Tony Irwin, who is the technical director of SMR Nuclear Technology and the chair of Engineers Australia Sydney Division Nuclear Engineering Panel, said that in South Korea, the Cori plant discharged 91 TBQ, which I think is um, what like a measurement, is it? Um, yeah. which is more than four times the planned uh, Fukushima discharge, provided the levels of dangerous radioscopes are below regulatory levels, the planned discharge at Fukushima is actually very conservative. So, um, with all things aside, I think this should be okay. Mm. I also raised a few alarm bells thinking about the poor, obviously, marine environment. But presuming that they've done all the things correctly, um, this wastewater should be adequate to make its way into the Pacific Ocean with little to no damage. A TBQ is a unit of measurement of radioactivity. Of radioactivity. So, discharge 91 TBQ in 2019. So, it'll be pretty interesting, um, maybe keep an eye on it as well. So, um, the radioactivity in the Fukushima water is almost entirely a form of hydrogen. Tritarium, for scale, the Pacific Ocean contains 8,400 grams of pure titranium, while Japan will release 0.06 grams of titanium each year. So, the minuscule amount of extra radiation does not make the tiniest job a difference. A lifetime's worth of seafood caught a few kilometers from the ocean outlet has the titanium equivalent of one bite of a banana. So, <laughs> so calm your horses. I yeah. think we'll all be a little bit fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know, check the fish. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> check, check with Peter, I think. Check with Peter, yeah. Uh, we'll cross on over to Peter. <laughs> I'll flick on. this to her and ask. <laughs> so unless we start catching 100 eye fishes, I think we'll be fine. Cool, cool. Easy. <laughs> Riz means like charisma, by the way. Max. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> from the university, <laughs> from the University of Sussex, Sussex, of Sussex, yeah. Sussex. Curious ranking. Curious ranking. Sixty-nine. You're tuned into Four Triple Z, and the show is No Idea. Your weekly dose of science with me, Max, and Izzy. And generally, we have Peter sending some pre-record about marine science. She's our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist. But this week, nothing. Nothing from Gabe either. Damn, I think everyone's... Nothing from Jay. Bit tired from Radiothon. I assemble this team. I get nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired. Oh, God. (laughs) But uh, I did find an article that Peter did last year, from April last year. It was on Archerfish, and we'll give it another 
play. That's right. It's your friendly neighborhood marine scientist, and I am back with some more super interesting marine science. Okay, so this week I found out about a super cool fish. Nothing crazy. Just a super, super cool fish. So this fish, right, it's like a normal looking little aquatic fish. Yellow and black, sort of arrow shaped, which is amazing because his name is the Archerfish. Um, but that's not why it's called that. It's called an Archerfish because of its rather incredible talent. These little fishies are insectivorous, as in land-based insects. So how exactly are these water-restricted fish able to eat all of these flying insects? They leap from the water while an insect is flying overhead and then they shoot them with a direct jet of water so that they can't fly and fall into the water where they can then be eaten. And this behavior is known as shooting because of their deadly aim. And this is totally gnarly because while there are other fish that eat insects and other fish that will jump out of the water, the researchers state that there is really nothing like the archer fish with its shooting ability. I mean, even the lead author of the study described the fish as pretty smart animals, they have to calculate for refraction and they're able to hit things that are on the wing as they're flying overhead. I really hope that I can see one in action one day, but they're super popular in the aquarium trade, so I might. But while the behavior itself is interesting, researchers from the University of Kansas were far more interested in the fact that it is drastically understudied. We don't even know what really makes an archerfish an archerfish and how many species there are and who they're descended from and who they're related to. Well, until this study, that is. Now we know a little more. This research is now the most detailed account of fish in the Toxitidae family. I mean, before this we didn't even know if all of them could shoot. But it turns out they totally can. But more specifically, the research was interested in where the hell they get this crazy ability from. And they did this by collecting tissue samples and specimens of archfishes from institutions and museums all around the world, then analyzing the structures and genetics. Through this, they found that the fish most likely use a blowpipe mechanism with support from other soft tissue oral features. And eventually they found what they were looking for, some fish with a similar mouthpiece that either can't or don't spit. Like the closely related sister group of beach salmon, who also have relevant shooting features in the oral cavity, but eat only hard-bodied things. Which means that regardless of their ability to do it, they don't use spitting as a tool for downing prey. And that is big because it tells us that spitting water at prey was most likely what they call co-opted, meaning they already had the structures in place and they just had to modify a few things to make it happen. So, you know, it's sick to hear that Mother Nature is modding out her shooters nowadays. We at 4ZZZ would like to give a huge shout out to our awesome sponsors for the epic prices they've offered up this Radiothon. Thanks for supporting us to keep making Radio Against the Machine. Five Star Cinemas. The Trifford. The Tivoli. The Princess Theatre. The Bright Side. And Banshee's Bar and Art Space. All my friends, AS Accounting and Big Sound. Down's Shoes. Denon. Felon's Brewing Co. Manny's Music and Sober. MBE Brisbane CBD. Netherworld. Red Octopus. Store DJ and Suitcase Records. Here's to you, the local heroes helping 4ZZZ win the battle against ones and zeros. You tune into 4ZZZ. And the show is no idea. And we're just sort of at the tail end of um, Radiothon, Easy. Yes. So you st- <clears throat> can still subscribe. We've had one subscriber today. So yep. even like though all. the 10 days are over. Yes. Um, and we did knock our sub target out of the water. Yeah, we had like over 1,600. Yeah. We? Do you know what the final... No, I think we're numbers up are still- final. So final numbers at the end of the 10 days. Yes. Ended on one of my favorite numbers. <laughs> 1,669. Nice. So, um, yeah. but look, 
We always want to see that number keep rising. And do not fear if you did miss out on that 10-day campaign. Mm. Not that if you were listening to Zed, you would have forgotten about it. We were plugging it to hell and back. So, (laughs) but don't worry if you missed out. We've Mm. still got a few more prizes up till the end of um, August. So, what you can get is the Custom Netherworld Games Cabinet, up for grabs still. A year of beer from Felons. Five-star cinema gold ticket. And a year of fresh fruit and veg from all my friends' grocer in Highgate Hill. Right. Not bad prizes to yeah, still be yeah. sticking around at the end of August. That's true. So if you want to subscribe, um, 4 forward slash support. Cop yourself some merch whilst you're there as well. Yep. Um, someone, is there someone downstairs? I think there is. Yeah, you can ring us on 7 and they're happy to take your subscription. If you want to subscribe during the month of August and go into the running for those four fabulous prizes that are still left yeah, um, in the running. Whoever gets that five-star cinnamon gold ticket, yeah, though. Yeah, well, I'm going for the beer, so... You're going for the a year of beer from felons <laughs> yeah. is off. That is quite great. Although, I right. am very excited for the Netherworld Games Cabinet. Whoever does mm. win that prize, please send photos. Because I've seen the Gabe previous one. that, didn't he? Or? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, yeah. Or even just, like, a year of fresh veg, man. True, true. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. F- four fantastic prizes still up for grabs. So, jump on over at 4ZZZ.org.au. And feel free to text in on the show if you wish, if oh, you've yeah. got any comments about how Max and Izzy are performing today <laughs> on the science show <laughs> on 0420 This is like the uh, No Idea Hangover Show, isn't it, basically, I'm from Radiothon? <laughs> I'm not commenting on <laughs> on any of that. And if you saw me at the uni bar yesterday, no comment on that either. Um, yeah, text us in. We can do requests as well. If your list of hobbies is looking a bit sketch lately, perhaps you figure you need to try something more artistic, like life drawing. The Bearded Lady in West End holds life drawing sessions every month on the first and third Tuesday. Doors open at six for dinner and drinks, and the session begins at seven, accompanied by live music. Basic materials are provided with your ticket. Available at lifedrawingsessions.com.au. The Beardo are proud sponsors of 4 Z. That's right. You tune into 4 Z. I'm going to the Beardo tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? Live drawing? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to go and see a couple of Brisbane bands playing oh, tomorrow nice. night. So it should be And you're going to draw them? Hey. You're going to draw them? <laughs> nah. Maintain the rage. Oh, don't worry about that. We'll maintain the rage, all right, and we'll maintain a bit of this. Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to 4ZZZ just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I will keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand the mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Not going to play that end bit of it, which I always talk over. No. With the lights out, and away we go. With MotoGP happened on the weekend, Aussie Jack Miller finished fifth in Saturday's sprint for the main game, the feature race on the Sunday. He started from fourth, is he? Where oh do you reckon gosh. he finished? Okay. Fourth? Started fourth. Yeah. Did he go up or down? Always down. Always down. It's, it's called reckon... a Jack Miller special. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's go unlucky 13. Yeah, plus 11. So he got 15th overall. Oh, okay. On his KTM. V8 supercars also happened on the weekend at the Bend. 
This is a circuit in rural South Australia. Ooh. Two races were held, race 21, race 22. Thomas Randell, driving the Castrol Mustang, won the first race, while Brody Kostecki won the second race in his Coca-Cola Camaro. How cool is that for alliteration? Coca-Cola. My Coca-Cola Say Camaro. It's fast. And he's only freshly back from his debut stint in NASCAR, where he finished 22nd on the Indy Road circuit. Kostecki currently leads this year's Supercar Championship on 1,895 points, ahead of Red Bull's SVG, which stands for Shane Van Gisbergen, who is on 1,758 points. I reckon all this is going to change, Izzy, because Mm. the supercar Enduros are coming up, and Red Bull are usually pretty phenomenal when it comes to long-distance or Enduro racing, and probably win Bathurst, and the points will change around, and SVG will win the championship. Okay, now F1. (laughs) The summer break is almost over as the teams make their way to the Netherlands. The Dutch GP is happening this weekend. Max Verstappen's home ground, if you will, home race. It's all but a foregone conclusion that Verstappen, with his Red Bull team, will win both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships this year. The interesting part, will be watching which drivers and which teams finish in the remaining positions. Can Aston Martin bring it back or the resurgent McLaren come in second? More on this next week. Stay tuned. And finally, the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report. Valtteri, have you seen this photo of him? No. He's been riding his bicycle. He's been on a bicycle race. Sporting a Simpsons Duff Man outfit <laughs> adorned with multiple cans of Duff beer around his waist. Nice. Not sure why, but I say, why not? Meanwhile, Roman Grosjean has been busy having a week off from his IndyCar commitments. It was revealed this week that his favourite goat, which is the greatest of all time, sports person, is Michael Jordan. Oh, okay. Bit before your time. No, I watched Space Jam, Max. <laughs> I know Michael Jordan. Thank you. I like how that's your reference point. Well, I didn't. I never watched him play. So. <laughs> yeah. Either that and um, that. Wasn't there a documentary on him on Netflix as well? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I watched Space Jam. I know everything about Michael Jordan. Fair enough. He did baseball and he didn't like baseball and he went back to basketball. <laughs> That's all I need to know. <laughs> okay, we'll keep it. We'll keep. I think this whole show is a science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, let's let's just get into the science. Our safe space. Triple Z. We want to appeal to your senses. The show has no idea. With me, Max, and Izzy. Good morning, Ian. We're going to... Okay. <laughs> happy Ian week, everyone. Happy Ian week. <laughs> v, who usually... Hangs out with us. She was here last week. Uh, unfortunately, has a full-time gig at the moment, so can't partake in the studio anymore. But she's done a pre-record for us this week, and it's on the saber-toothed tiger. Wow! You ready for cool. this? Let's do it. Anyone who knows me knows that I absolutely love cats. I've got a little cat daughter whom I love very, very much. She's black, has one eye, and I can spend hours talking to her. She even talks back sometimes. And if you're also friends with a lot of cats, something you've probably noticed is that they all have very different voices. Some of them talk in really bright, sharp meowing sounds, 
while others have old man yowls. And so I just found it really, really delightful when I came across this science story about a very special cat and its voice. Now, modern day cats can be sorted into roughly two groups with two distinct vocalizations. Pantherine big cats, like lions, tigers, and jaguars, are known for their roar. On the other hand, little cats like lynxes, cougars, ocelots, and domestic cats are known to purr. Our story today centers on a very ancient cat, the saber-toothed tiger, and where it fits in on this vocalization spectrum. Evolutionarily speaking, saber-toothed split off the cat family tree before all those other modern groups did. This means, for instance, that lions are more closely related to house cats than they are to the saber-toothed tiger. This makes it really hard to categorize saber-toothed tigers and use that kind of categorization to infer what kind of sounds they made. That's where our researchers come in. This study was published just on Sunday in the Journal of Morphology by a group of researchers from North Carolina State University. They analyzed the tiny bones in the back of the cat's throat. While vocalization is driven by the larynx and soft tissue in the throat, these tiny bones, called hyoid bones, are responsible for anchoring those muscles in place, and thus can actually change the way that the sound comes out. While humans only have one hyoid bone, purring cats have nine of them, all linked in a chain. Roaring cats, on the other hand, have seven. Now, the common wisdom is that the number of hyoid bones is responsible for what vocalization cats make. Now, saber-tooths have seven hyoid bones, which would imply that they roar. Case closed, right? Well, not exactly. The researchers in this study thought to challenge the seven-roar, nine-purr paradigm, to quote one of the researchers, the anatomy of the saber-toothed tiger is weird. Saber-tooths are missing extra bones that purring cats have, but the shape and size of the hyoid bones are distinct from other roaring cats. Some of them are shaped more like those of purring cats, but just much bigger. We found that despite what history told us about the number of bones in the hyoid structure, no one had validated the significance of that difference. If vocalization is just about the number of bones in the hyoid structure, then saber-toothed roared. But if it's about shape, then they might have purred. Due to the fact that saber-tooths have things in common with both groups, there could even be a completely different vocalization. It is perhaps most likely that the size of the hyoids play a role in the pitch of vocalization. Although saber-tooths weren't quite as big as the largest modern cats, their hyoid bones are substantially larger than those of any of the living relatives, so potentially they had even deeper vocalizations than the largest tigers and lions. We had a subscriber, didn't we? We did! During the... Light was going off, it we heard was. that screeching seal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're listening to 4 Z. Um, please subscribe. Ag's here. Oh, let's go. Yeah, come on in, Ag. Awesome. What or, are we going into you? next, Max? Okay. Because Gabe's not here today, I look back into the archives from last year in May and Gabe did an interview with Gareth Kindler from UQ Ooh. on this app which is used for threatened species and if you find it in your local suburb. So I'll let Gabe do the talking. Let's do it. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Gareth. Um, you've got a new app out. Yeah, we do. It's called Threaten Australians. And essentially the idea behind it is we've taken government data on threatened species, so not human nor non-human species, 
for those species, such as birds, reptiles, mammals, that they're listed under the EPVC Act, which is a federal government legislation for managing and cataloguing threatened species in Australia. So the government has comprehensive data, or I don't want to say comprehensive, but maybe just data (laughs) on these threatened species and essentially where they occur around Australia. So we took this data and essentially made an app out of it. So users can log on. You can find the app at threatened.org.au. We start off with a postcode. So you punch in your postcode. If you're from yeah, the Valley, which is 4 Z, chuck in 4006, and we'll show you the 17 threatened animals that are found within the electorate of Brisbane, uh, yeah. along with the threatened plants too. So we've kind of centered it around electorates because we think they're important to this threatened species crisis that is essentially happening. Uh, we're sleepwalking through. Well, I, I notice as well that you, you are centering this around electorates. Uh, that happens to be election around the corner. Uh, was there any, any timing there on your side? There was a little bit. We started this project about six months ago. It had some history beyond that, but we really pushed to get this out before the election with the hope that we could push a bit of uh, biodiversity and threatened species onto the agenda in the lead up to the election, but also beyond that. So really we've centered the whole app around these locations of electorates because MPs and the actions that MPs do, whether they be on their day-to-day and how they talk to media or um, what they do in parliament, these are really uh, crucial decisions that MPs make that really can make or break uh, threatened species within Australia. Absolutely. And um, I noticed as well when I had a look at the app, um, it doesn't just show the threatened species that are there as well. It shows the threatened species that maybe used to be in that electorate and aren't anymore. What was the decision behind that? Yeah, so this is the design decision that we had to essentially make because the data that is underlying this website, it's government data, but it's really not the best data. It's uh, a bit outdated and the publicly available version is kind of quite generalized. So we've kind of had to make this caveat, essentially, and say, you know, the electorate of Brisbane has or used to have 17 threatened animals because some of the animals are not really found there anymore. So, for example, within Brisbane, one of the species that you might find is the spot-tailed coal. You can see what is pushing this species to extinction. And the reason why, essentially, we've used that language is because the ranges, the habitat that these species once survived in, which was quite vast for a lot of them, is now being shrunk to such a point where there are really small regions uh, where this species still occurs. And so then the next step, you know, you look it up, you find in Brisbane the 17 animals that are listed there on the app. Um, what are the next steps? Because I think most people would see that list and then want to do something about it. Yeah, so essentially we've got a more or less a four-step process to try and make it a little simple. And the first most significant action we've centred is contacting your local representative about the threatened species within your electorate. How often are elected representatives asked about the threatened species and what they're going to do about it within their own electorate, but also beyond? What are, what are they going to vote for when it comes to uh, when they're sitting in parliament and legislation is before them that is crucial to the survival and um, preservation of threatened species? So really, we want our users and anyone out there to use the app but then also get in contact with their local representatives and question them, question them like the media really has not done in the lead up to this election, but also beyond. There's some other resources that we've uh, included, such as connecting with organisations and how you vote in the upcoming elections. So you can see 
information from the They Vote View website, which basically passes the federal government handout and makes what our politicians do in uh, federal parliament pretty accessible, and you can read about it, but also talking about this issue, so sharing it. Threatened species are really in a, quite a perilous state. It's, it's the worst it's ever been, and we kind of need action. We need action from our federal government. Brilliant. Um, mate, I think it's amazing. The, do you want to give us the URL one more time? Yeah, so it's threatened.org.au. It's a web app. You don't download it from the Apple Store, but you can just access it straight through your browser. Just like Wordle. Beautiful. That's it. Thank you so much, mate. Cool. Thank you very much. You're tuning to 4ZZZ. The show has no idea. Your weekly dose of science. As we said, we alluded to before, we have been getting some SMSs in on the text line, which is on 0420-626-733. Izzy? Call it out. Nemtron. Nemtron. Well, first of all, <clears throat> it's registered towards you, by the way. Oh, okay. So, hey, hey Max. Max. And Izzy, I guess. Can you <laughs> Can you confirm for me, when the sun implodes, yes. we will lose gravity instantly, and yeah. sunlight will disappear eight minutes later. So, I believe Nemtron was correct about the eight-minute mark. That is about how far away um, the sun's light and warmth reaches us. Right. So, correct about that. Yeah. I looked into the gravity thing. Mm. This had me scratching my head a little bit. Yeah. So I fell into, from Warwick Knowledge Center by Christopher Manson, a postdoctoral researcher of astrophysics, mm. he says that the death of the sun will occur in about 5 billion years. So don't worry, Neemtron. It's not happening anytime <laughs> soon, so you can chill out. 5 billion. Um, when the sun starts to die, it will get bigger and slightly colder, mm-hmm. turning into what is known as a red giant. It will get so big, it will eat Mercury, Venus, and even Earth. Um, when it is a red giant, it will be big and puffy and start to blow off its outer layers into the solar system. It will then become smaller and smaller into what we call a white dwarf. A white dwarf is the core of a dead star. Super heavy, weighing as much as the sun whilst being only the size of the Earth. Um, most of the solar system around it, so like Mercury, Venus, and Earth will be gone, but Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune will survive and continue to go around this new white dwarf. So life after the sun will basically look like uh, incredibly cold, probably won't be around because it will absorb us, but let's say if we live in Mars, which is whatever the billionaires are looking for, Mm -hmm. let's say we escape, a white dwarf doesn't produce much light. Um, and we'll basically be looking at a very cold atmosphere. So, for the forces of gravity, though, once all the helium disappears, turning our sun into a white dwarf, the forces of gravity will take over. So, in the process of going from a large gas giant to a white dwarf, that's all gravity basically condensing what Mm. was our sun into now this new white dwarf. So, the forces of gravity will overcome us. Um, I don't think gravity will affect us as a human being standing on Earth, but because we'll probably get blown up first by like the red dwarf. <laughs> so I don't think our gravity will affect us. No. But it will affect the sun, yeah, which yeah. is interesting. So too long, didn't listen. Basically, um, we will not lose gravity instantly. Gravity will crush the sun and we will not be there to see it because we'll probably be exploded. Cool, cool. But don't worry, it's only, what, 700 billion years from now, so <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of time to worry about that. Exactly. Anyway, 
Cool, cool. We had a text in from Ben Ryan saying, that's so damn interesting. Not sure which article that was for. Cool. Well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And then Nick texted in saying about the Fukushima releasing the water. Yeah. Used to follow it. Got a bit depressed about it. Well, because it was a a tsunami that then triggered the nuclear um, collapse. So, yeah, an absolute massive incident. But it's great now that they are recovering. That's it. Um, Yeah. And Nick says we're doing a good job on the show today. Yeah. Just the two of us. Thanks, Nick. Job done. Appreciate it. Easy. Now, speaking of space. Oh, yeah. What do you got? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what have you got, Max? Play it. We got this. No idea. Space news. See a nice little segue? Matthew texted in and said, at a larger scale across the solar system, the gravity of the sun will still be unchanged. It's Mm -hmm. the same mass. So, Well, we're not going to see it. So, (laughs) unless we're all living in Mars. Let's roll with it. Lunar 25, you've heard about this. This is the uh, very rushed Russian probe that they sent to the moon. They decided to put it into a lower orbit around the moon before its landing, but the the orbit was so low it actually hit the surface of the moon and <laughs> had a hard landing. So game over for Lunar 25. Ross Cosmos says not to worry because they've got Lunar 26 and Lunar 27 <laughs> all but ready to go. We'll see. Anyway. Now, oh, I do this every week. Now, I have to to talk about something else first while I try and... Why? Find this thing. Oh, no, Max. Oh, no. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) There we go. The Space Force theme. Ingenuity. The Mars Mini Chopper has flown once again it's up to flight number 55 so one more from last week when do you reckon it started flying on Mars on Mars yeah what was it flying previously was it flying no when, else? When, when, when was it first flight on Mars we're now in 2023 2021 one yeah 19th of April 2021 jeez pretty impressive eh that's pretty cool pretty good Sony batteries in there <laughs> now NASA We'll fly another crew to the ISS this week. SpaceX, on the SpaceX Crew Dragon. I guess that then means that the expedition number changes from 69 to 70. Boo! (laughs) Yep, blown up. They're called Crew 7 and it is a fully international mission carrying four astronauts from four different nations. Those crew members are NASA's Jasmine Mongbelli, the commander of the Endurance. So the, the Crew Dragon's called Endurance. A Danish astronaut, Andreas Morgesen, uh, from the ESA or the European Space Agency. He'll be the pilot of the capsule. Konstantin Boris Zoff of the Russian Space Agency. And Japan's Satoshi Furukawa, hmm. both of whom will serve as mission specialists. They will be replacing Crew 6 that have been stationed on the ISS since March this year. Screaming in space. For the first time, scientists have shown that sound can travel through the emptiness of a vacuum. However, the rule-breaking trick requires specific circumstances and can only be carried out over extremely small distances. Hmm. Space is ostensibly a, a vacuum, a region devoid of any particles, 
Sound waves travel by vibrating through the particles of a medium such as air or water from a source to a receiver. So in a vacuum, there is no travel medium. But in a new study published on July 14 in the journal Communications Physics, researchers showed that sound can move through a vacuum. In their new experiment, researchers transmitted sound waves across a vacuum between two zinc oxide crystals by transforming the vibrating waves into ripples with an electric field between the objects. Unfortunately for space explorers, this does not extend to human screams. (laughs) I was about to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Sugar Vault is the hybrid aircraft concept proposed by a team led by Boeing's Research and Technology Division. It is one of a series of concepts put forward in response to a request for proposals for future aircraft issued by NASA. It is proposed that Sugar Vault would use two hybrid turbofans that burn conventional jet fuel when taking off, then use electric motors to power the engines while flying. Sugar stands for... Now, you always need Gabe here because he likes to break it down, but Sugar stands for Subsonic Ultra Green Aircraft Research. And Vault suggests that it would be at least partly powered by electricity. Sugar Vault would have emissions about 70% lower than average airliners today. Noise pollution would also be lower than airlines today. The concept is now one step closer after Boeing received its McDonnell Douglas 90 aircraft, MD-90, which they hope to incorporate truss wings under the X-66 program. The X-66A is the first X-plane specifically focused on helping the United States achieve the goal of net zero aviation greenhouse gas emissions. And if you want to look on our web page, on our show page <gasps> at four triple no idea, you'll see the truss wing. I've got a photo. Oh, nice. Or, you know, just a, glitch a diagram of it. Yeah. <laughs> and that is it. For the space news. I learned that you can hear the difference between different water temperatures when they're poured. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour one after the other mm-hmm. into a different glass and you have to tell me which one is which temperature. I've got a hot and a cold. Mm-hmm. You ready? Yep. Right, here's the first one. Any thoughts? Is this the bodily fluids again? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying cold. It sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? Okay. Yeah. Here's the second one. Oh! <laughs> oh. Well played. Shut up. <laughs> And that's it for the No Idea Show this week, Izzy. Well, Max, do we want to talk about what happened in the studio earlier? Oh, all the lights went flashing. All the lights. First time I've ever seen a super sub and it said every single light. I was not joking. Every <laughs> on air, every mute, every doorbell light was flicking. <laughs> Shout out to our super sub who subbed. That's Thank right. you so much for your support. Who are we going to thank? We're thank Gabe for not coming in. We're going to thank V for not coming in. We're going to thank Jay for not coming in. <laughs> Jesus. We're really ensuring that they don't come back. (laughs) We'll see. We'll find out next week, huh? And we'll speak to you (laughs) next week. See ya. See ya. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. Science.